And let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to wake up in the morning and actually make a good breakfast. Um, it's fun to listen to podcasts in the morning, but it's not always fun to like make a breakfast that's more than just milk on cold cereal. And if you actually go out and get something, sometimes it's like beige, plastic wrap stuff, brick-shaped protein bars, day-old donuts. Not always the finest moments. But there's a new option at McDonald's, and frankly, as a chicken lover, I'm very excited about this. The new McChicken breakfast sandwiches are on the McDonald's breakfast menu, and you'll never go back to that old breakfast life. It's time to change your life for breakfast. Buttery, crispy McChicken biscuits and savory, sweet McChicken griddles, freshly prepared and now available nationwide at McDonald's. That's how you wake up breakfast. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. And one of the podcasts I love listening to in the mornings, whether I'm eating McChickens or not, is the Woj Pod. And they've got an upcoming episode with uh, what they're filming, actually, over here at the All-Star Weekend in Chicago in front of a live audience. It's a tough ticket because Jackie Mack, who uh, we all know from this show, uh, the ringer's Ryan Rossillo, who's one of the best uh, uh, podcasters, personalities out there, will be with Woj. And this was the, the key, Chicago native Patrick Beverly. You have no idea what that's going to do, just going to say especially when he gets in front of the live audience on stage. So uh, check that episode upcoming of the Woj Pod, which you can get wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. We're at All-Star Weekend. Um, it's Thursday night. It's actually Friday morning. It's about midnight here in Chicago. Um, last year, we did a podcast at this exact same spot, and we had a whole bunch of us together. Um, we were all in Charlotte. Um, I had pneumonia. Um, and we wanted to do that tonight, but I don't like to talk about travel because I don't think people care about it, but it was a rough day to get to Chicago, including for my guest here, Kevin Pelton, who was delayed like everybody who came to Chicago today. Some people couldn't get here at all. So, all right. We're not going to have a big group. And we have Andrew Hahn, who is making this all possible. Andrew made it in. Um, you were flying in from the West Coast tonight, Kevin, and you missed another great Zion Williamson game. And, you know, we have All-Star Weekend, and that's going to be a big deal, and we'll have a lot about that next week. We're going to be spending time talking to a lot of players and stuff over this weekend. But Zion has now played 10 games. Um, they lost against the Thunder tonight. Um, they're still, I think... 11 or 12 games under 500. But he has played 10 games, and I think he's been spectacular. He's averaging like 22, 23 points. He's shooting 58%. He had another high-efficiency game against the Thunder. Um, I feel like because of – I've said this before, but I feel like because of the terrible events with Kobe and the fact that this didn't happen at the start of the season and it happens midseason, he's not getting the attention. Kevin, I think he's been awesome. He's undoubtedly been awesome. I was having a conversation about this with my brother last week, and he was like, should Zion be an all-star? Like, obviously he shouldn't because he's only played 10 games, to your point. But if you were actually taking the 24 best players in the league, there's a not unreasonable case to be made that Zion Williamson is one of those players. That feels like a hot take, but he's been so good that I can't put you off of it right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a little premature, but it's not crazy to think based you on what he's done. Really 
you know, you're not known for firing from the hip. That's, not your, that's yeah. not your MO. I mean, just the impact he's made. Uh, New Orleans has been awesome with him on the court. I don't know what the plus minus looked like tonight, but they've been awesome with him on the court. He's... He's sustaining an extremely high usage rate, higher even than he had at Duke, while being extremely efficient as a scorer because it yeah, helps. He's only averaging you... two turnovers a game. And then he misses some shots sometimes, but then he goes and rebounds them all, hmm. which is probably the most impressive skill, I'd yeah, say. Uh, offensive rebounding in general has kind of taken a bit of a. People aren't as focused on it anymore, so it's kind Except of... the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, we're not going to spend time talking about them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, offensive rebounding has sort of been, uh, he was minus five tonight and he lost by five. So, by the way, he's only played over 30 minutes, three, three out of the 10 games. Right. He, you know, there, his minutes are down. We've and he's still numbers. getting back into shape. I mean, yeah. you know, you could tell how, how limited he was in the early stretch of this. And I don't think his conditioning is there, which is why he probably a major factor why he hasn't been the defensive presence that I kind of would have expected that he would be, you know, based on what we saw at Duke. But that's the nit you have to pick at this point because he's been so dominant everywhere else. So he's been, God, this is a highly, this statement is loaded with lots of things, but he's been better his first 10 games than LeBron was. It's a little bit of an unfair comparison yeah. because he had the year of college. I know, but here's the thing. LeBron had, obviously everybody remembers, he had an incredible first game. He actually had a pretty impressive first week. You know, he had, he was playing point guard. He was, he was dealing with some stuff. But Zion played four games in the preseason and was having the most dominant preseason we've almost ever seen for a rookie. And again, it happened during football season. People weren't paying that much of attention. Then he got hurt and he was out of our lives for a while. Then he comes back. The Pelicans are awful on the verge of, you know, going into tank mode. And we obviously have the tragedy. I don't know. Like, he has been so great every second virtually he's been on the floor from the beginning of the preseason. It's really something to be excited about. Uh, there's a stat that's going around I just wanted to share with you guys that um, of number one picks, the only players to score more points through their first 10 games than Zion Williamson. Can you guys guess? Players drafted number one overall. Hmm, that's an g- excellent trivia question. I haven't seen that stat tonight. Luel Sindar? Uh, one is Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, that makes sense. The other is Allen Iverson. Mm. Oh, wait, did you say from a, since a certain date? Did I, no, did I miss it? No, that was old, old. Wow. If it's since a certain date, then I'm unaware. Okay. Well, <laughs> the whatever, doing, the, whatever the, the, the metric is, I mean, and when you watch him play... I, I can't take my eyes off of him. And I'm not sure that that can be said about a lot of young players. I mean, I think Durant grew into that. He, by the end of his rookie season, got there. Yeah. But there were some rough moments in the middle of that rookie season. Obviously, I, I was following that closely, working for the Sonics at that point. <laughs> right. You were there for every step. Um, you know, it's interesting. You talk, I was just talking to somebody tonight who really knows the league. And he was saying... The last two rookies he thinks have sort of been like, you can't take your eyes off of them, have been like LeBron. I mean, you know, rookies, LeBron and Iverson. I mean, Ja almost, like, we're giving him short shrift here because yeah. of the fact that we talked about Zion, but he almost has been in that category too. It's just a ja highlight a minute. great, but I'm talking about 
everywhere he goes in the court, you just like he's like a you're like a moth to the flame. I, for me, um, like you know, when Iverson came in the league, this was my I was a senior in high school. You know, you know who else belongs on this list? Actually, Jason Williams. Jason Williams was a surprise, like because he, he, but he was so out of like he. No one in the league was playing like that at that point. I mean, I remember being so thrilled. Um, I, I was at the same point. I was fair, a junior in high school at that point. Fair point. I don't know if it was the same type of way, but fair point. I just remember. I remember Shaq. I wanted to. I mean, this was even in college. Like Shaq, I wanted to watch him play every game. And Which was much tougher to do back in 1992. I yeah, I went to his first game ever in Cleveland. I like made, I told my dad. I was like, I really want to go see him. And he had a very pedestrian night. He had um, he had like 17 points. It was not he was not great, but I just had just had to see him. And um, I remember Iverson. Like again, Iverson. We knew he was going to be really good. And you know, obviously LeBron. That was my life at the time. I want to be careful of, of hyperbole here, KP, because I mean that's you know I'm I'm a wait and see type of guy, but man, he is just so exciting, and I, I just feel like he's going to be a part of our lives for a long time going forward. Okay, so it was the last thirty seasons. So last thirty seasons. Kareem is a rookie when he was Lou Alcindor could have gotten. That. We should take a look at Kareem's first first ten games. Do we, do we have the full basketball reference game log at that point? I don't know if we. Oh, maybe, we maybe do. not. Yeah, I mean, what what especially makes this stand out though is, you know, even LeBron when he came in, certainly AI. That was an era where you sort of expected this from rookies. Not expected this, but it was common for rookies. Whereas you contrast what Zion and Ja are doing this year from the rest of the rookie class with the rest of the rookie class, and that disparity is pretty dramatic. I mean. I think that makes it all the more impressive. Uh, I have a slightly different question to all of this because obviously if you want to be this type of a magnetizing or dynamic player, you have to have a skill and performance to back all of that stuff up. But um, John Morant is in Memphis and Zion is in New Orleans. Do you think that they can have the kind of impact on those franchises and cities, franchises and cities that LeBron had with Cleveland? Like, can they draw a national attention and focus on those organizations? Where LeBron was himself a big market team wherever he was. Right. It's going to take some time, but I think it's certainly possible for Zion in particular. Kareem scored 43 points in his seventh game. He had, not, I think, not too shabby. Yeah. Um, he <laughs> had, uh, he, he, by the way, he played 48 minutes in his first game. His second game, he probably played the first 30 minutes, but because that's when he's fouled out. So yeah, I think his numbers are probably pretty high. Um, he averaged 27.8 through his first 10, so 278 total. By the way, we just saw the machine in action. He just looked at that like he was um, a beautiful mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm, okay, yeah, yes. Pelton is incredibly intelligent, but multiplying something by 10, but he adding did, a zero is but not he the did hardest it in like, thing in the world. But he added... No, no I added, didn't, I, that what you actually saw is the real genius, which is knowing how to use the basketball reference page right, to um, sum up those right, ten games. Right, anyway. that's, that's, that's the type of knowledge Zion, I really have. Are Zion and Jaw of a big market unto themselves? Like, do they have the skill and the hype to be able to do that? Great question. I think that's going to be the the big thing for the NBA. Can Zion Williamson draw eyes into New Orleans? My bet right now would be yes. 
Um, but we're in a spot in the NBA right now where the NBA in general is not drawing eyes, uh, more eyes at least. So it's a challenging spot. Although when LeBron came in the league, it was post Jordan and it was, it was a bit of a lull. So, um, that lottery moment, the crazy thing about this Pelton. Yeah. I mean, being in Chicago where the lottery was. Were you at the lottery? I was not. Okay. That lottery moment where it was Lakers, Knicks, Grizzlies, Pelicans. And we talked a lot. I talked a lot about it on this podcast. I wrote a lot about the lottery. I felt last year's lottery was one of the most impactful moments in recent NBA history in terms of like non on the court. And boy, did it live up to it. I mean, the, the stakes there, first off, the way the lottery came out with the Lakers leaping up, it obviously unlocked their ability to trade for Anthony Davis. Secondly, the fact that the Pelicans won the lottery, you know, made it easier for them to trade Anthony Davis at that moment. They, I think they would probably have done it anyway, but I think it made them feel more comfortable doing the deal with LA. Um, because they had the four pick and they could say, okay, we're going to get two top four picks here. Like even if you weren't certain that any of the young guys they were getting from the Lakers was going to be that centerpiece star, which you could argue that Brandon Ingram has developed and that he's here this weekend as an all-star, but that was okay because Zion was that guy. Yes. Um, Ingram has surpassed what I thought he would do and he's probably going to get a max contract this summer. Um, I will obviously say I'm here as as a long time Ingram skeptic. Well, I just, I don't know. We don't go down that path right now. But um, just think of how different the world would be if Zion went to the Knicks. Uh, a there, lot of people would probably still be there. Their summer, there their summer could be completely different. They could have gotten one of the free agents. I don't know if they would have because we don't really see free agents trail rookies. Um, they don't tend to say, oh, I want to play with that guy. But it could have convinced the Knicks, frankly, to go all in on an Anthony Davis trade. Um, they wouldn't have had that top pick to trade. They wouldn't have traded that pick. But the Knicks didn't make a wholehearted effort to compete with the Lakers. Um, it was actually Boston who was making more of the, you know, if there was a team that was making another offer, it was Boston, who Rich Paul, Anthony Davis's agent, was on the record saying he would not resign in. I mean, we'll never know what he would have done, but Rich Paul was working overtime to knock Boston out of the box. If the Knicks had been willing to trade all of their young pieces, the extra picks that they had from Porzingis, that Porzingis trade, I mean, they don't beat the Lakers, but they may have preferred to do a deal with New York. Um, and those picks looked a lot more valuable last May before we saw this leap from Luka Doncic into becoming an MVP candidate in his second season. Right. So that lottery just meant so much beyond just who was going to get Zion. And... Um, Another domino was Memphis trading Mike Conley after getting John Morant. I mean, they probably would have looked to make that move. Obviously, they were talking right. with Utah at the deadline, but you know, it became a lot easier when all of a sudden your point guard of the future was available. Right. I mean, I have nothing but positive things to say about Memphis, but a lot of people are praising them. Boy, what an incredible rebuild. It has been a good rebuild, but it sure as hell helped that they got the number two pick instead of wherever they were slated in this draft, where, where there was even a, a possibility they could have lost their pick. Right. Um, it was an infinitesimal possibility, but it, it could have happened. Sport Clips Haircuts makes it more convenient than ever to get a haircut. If you've got an Amazon Alexa or a Google Nest device, you can check in online 
from the Sports Clips website with their mobile app check-in, just using your voice. You save time by getting in line before heading down to your favorite Sport Clips for that next haircut. Sport Clips. You choose the cut, they cut the weight. Um, so anyway, think, speaking of uh, Memphis, um, you were remarking uh, earlier before we started about how you are so interested in the race for the eighth seed um, in the Western Conference. And I will say that while normally I would sort of say, well, this is like talking about who a team should make its 14th man. Um, Which I have takes on too. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you could go <laughs> into the G League and you could have takes um we could go down the Pac-12 rosters, and you could have takes, I'm sure. Um, but uh, the way that, that that Dame Lillard is going after this, um, you guys know me. I'm on this crusade to highlight how great the NBA is on a night-to-night basis, which I don't think is I don't think the league, quite frankly, is doing a good job of doing. Um, Dame's incredible run here, uh, although he's going to be on the sideline for a week or two because of the groin injury. Um, just as highlighted how intense this is going to be. Obviously, Zion is trying to get the Pelicans up there. I don't know if they can. And what I think is amazing is that Memphis is in eighth. The trailers are kind of hot there on their tail. They haven't played yet this season. Well, they did. They did. They hadn't played until, oh, oh, until Tuesday night oh, I missed or it. Wednesday night, I should say. I, I black out there. Sorry. Grizzlies won. Yes. Um, they have to play two more times. Correct. So um, that certainly makes things also interesting as well. Yeah, it was a big week for the Blazers in this race for eighth. Uh, you came into the week, they were they were hot. You were at that game? These were both on the road. Okay. Uh, you came into this week, they got uh, a nice win over the weekend against Miami on Sunday in the first game for Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder for the Heat. And you're feeling like, hey, Dame's playing so well. The Blazers are coming together. Trevor Ariza has really made a difference coming in in that what we thought was primarily a financial trade for them with Sacramento that ended up being their only trade of consequence before the deadline. And then they went on the road to play New Orleans and Memphis back-to-back, two of the other teams in this race, and get not entirely smoked in Memphis, but they got pretty soundly smoked both nights. And Lillard hobbles off in the fourth quarter of that game with this groin injury. So the combination, the 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 one-two punch of those two losses and Lillard missing some time, although you know maybe since it sounds like it's probably a grade one strain with that one- to two-week timetable, maybe he only misses a game or, you know, if they're really lucky, he can be back. But their first game after the break is against New Orleans at home. So they're, they're still in the thick of this eighth seed race. But the the winners of the week ended up being Memphis for sure. New Orleans loses Thursday night to Oklahoma City. Memphis is now four games up with 28 to play. So even though they've got a very difficult schedule the rest of the way, New Orleans has a very easy schedule, it's looking a lot more favorable for the Grizz. Would you you think the Grizz will be able to do it? You know, it's interesting because it's the 538 projections, which I look at a lot, uh, particularly the ones that are based on their their Raptor player ratings, have New Orleans like is the favorites because, despite being so far back because they like the Pelicans roster so much in that favorable schedule. I don't quite buy that because also it relies on everybody staying healthy the rest of the way in New Orleans, which is a question mark. 
and just having four games in hand is such a big advantage. But if I had to take someone today, I would probably take Memphis. Well, speaking of staying healthy, Paul George got hurt again tonight. Uh, hamstring injury, I believe, in Boston. It was a terrific game in Boston tonight. Um, Celtics with a big win um, right before the break, double overtime win. Um, every time I have been talking about the who I think is going to win the title this year, who I think is going to win the West, I think it will be the Clippers. But every time I say it, I have to preface it by saying, oh, assuming that they will, the, you know, assuming health. Um, I know we're just in February, but the assuming health thing is getting harder and harder to believe from the Clippers because they just keep getting hurt. And Patrick Beverly is missing uh, games right now for the fourth different time just for this same groin injury. He's aggravated it. He injured it and he's aggravated it three other different times. Paul George obviously has missed a whole bunch of games. Kawhi is load managing, which is fine. But um, again, you know, here's an, a really great chance for them to, to play a, a highly contested game on the road at the end of a road trip in Boston. And they get to play together for like 12 minutes tonight. Um, you know, I believe the Clippers can do it, but I, I'm just, they're not inspiring confidence that they, that they are going to be healthy when it matters. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it, it seems like when we issued that win healthy caveat coming into the season, it probably meant two things. Number one, when Kawhi is playing every game in the playoffs rather than load managing during the regular season. And then two, this question mark of Paul George coming off surgery on both shoulders. And the shoulders have seemed to be fine. It's it's a number of other things that have, have kept George off the court since the first 10 games of the season. But Beverly, we always knew, was going to be a question mark with his health because that's been the case. Just kind of the style he plays at his size, I think, is tough to sustain over the course of an 82-game season. And this is going to feel like a strange thing to say, but when you talk to trainers and you talk to people who have been around, when small guards age a little bit, you tend to see groin, adductor, hamstring issues, hip you could, issues. You could say Chris Paul here. Yeah, you just um, – there's something – I mean, it's not just him. You see it happen with a lot of players. There's something that happened way back in the day. Kevin Johnson had a real tough time with that one. I don't remember that, but I certainly believe that you're accurate. Um, they always compared him to like a sports car where, you know, he's extremely fast, but in the shop all the time. So like for some reason, like six foot ish guards, when they get to be around 30, tend to have those injuries happen a little bit more. So that's something that's happened with Beverly, um, this year. I mean, like Isaiah Thomas, um, you know, he was a little bit younger than that, but his series of injuries was consistent with smaller guards. Um, I remember Speedy Claxton got, you know, his career got derailed because I think it was a hip injury, um, at that point in his career. Um, so anyway, um, you know, it is, you know, it is, wor- it's just worrisome in general for them. And now that I've said it, they'll probably all be healthy for the entire playoff run. <laughs> well, um, especially I feel like, you know, I don't think seeding is crucial for the Clippers. If they're the third seed, I don't know how Han, our diehard Clippers fan here, feels about that. If they're the third seed, I feel like they're okay. But you don't want to drop into that four or five and have to go through potentially the Lakers in the second round. The the Lakers don't want them to drop into the four or five. <laughs> no one wants any of that stuff to happen. I To put a little different spin on any of this, I guess I would ask both of you guys with regard to the Clippers, 
at this point last season with Kawhi and the Raptors, because the Raptors had injury issues throughout last year as well, did you feel differently about that Raptors team? Um, and does that give you any perspective with the Clippers and how they're managing their injuries and what the expectations are for them in the postseason? I remember being worried a little bit about the Raptors a few times last year. Um, but they were so impressive immediately in the playoffs. And one well, of the things that's not immediately, they lost game one, right? But, but after they lose that. game one again, I think they did, didn't they? <laughs> they just dropped it. They just started. Let's just show up for game two and let's get the, you should just load manage Kawhi in game one. Um, the thing about the Raptors last year that I remember is that they could play like 10 different ways. They could play fast. They could play slow. They could play big. They could play small. They could switch. They could trap. They could drop. They just, they had the entire toolbox and then they had the guy who was, you know, we found who turned out to be the best player. Um, uh, and they went through a pretty hard draw to, to win it. But, um, your point is well taken, Andrew, which is that, you know, the Raptors were not hitting on all cylinders. Of course, they had made a big midseason trade. Um, not only bringing in Marcus Saul, but sending out some guys who were key parts of the rotation, Valanciunas and Delon Wright. Um, you know, guys who'd, you know, been there for a while, but, um, it's a, it's a fair question. I mean, I, I, I believe in Kawhi. I believe that, you know, if he's healthy, that they're the favorites, but, you know. I feel like the odd contrast between the Clippers and Toronto is last year, the big question was, can Kawhi Leonard fit into what the Raptors are doing? Because they were so good in those games that he was missing. And it was just, we'll play our old style and we actually kind of don't need you, which it turned out, obviously, they very much did in the postseason. With the Clippers, it doesn't feel like Kawhi is the question. It's more how you graft kind of all these new pieces onto what they had going last year with the Beverly Harrell Williams combo. That was, that's kind of been the one interesting thing. One of the reasons why the Raptors have adapted so well to Kawhi being gone is that they were never constructed to completely be around Kawhi. Um, they did trade a core piece in DeMar DeRozan to get him. And then, you know, they brought in Gasol, but this wasn't like when LeBron left the Cavs where literally every person on the roster was brought there to fit with LeBron. And then when he's gone, there's nothing there. The Raptors had a good team before, and so a lot of that remains. To me, the more surprising thing about what Toronto has done this season is not replacing Kawhi. It's replacing Kawhi and Danny Green. To lose both of those guys as your starting wings and still, you know, be running along as fast as they are. I mean, that's, you know, Raptors fans are crowing about how wrong everyone was about them, but I, I don't know. You know, that even internally they were this optimistic about Fred Van Fleet and OG Andy Novi coming into the season. Well, Andrew Hahn's point to himself, obviously, was, but I will say <laughs> that Andrew Hahn, like, has been wrong about some predictions before. And as long as we're talking about being wrong about predictions, I believe there's somebody on this podcast whose computer read outside the match we're going to have the second best record in the East. It was not second, but it's, it's not been, uh, it's I want, not we been. might have to go to the tape on that. Maybe, what was it, third? I think it was fourth. Hmm. It was, anyway, it was much we'll, too we'll high. Let's let that go way. because I don't make predictions. Um, I mean, I think the interesting thing about the Clippers also uh, is that they're having the season I expected both LA teams to have. 
Because it didn't mm. look like these were teams that were constructed to win in the regular season. It looked like teams that were going to be better in the playoffs in the regular season, especially with the integrating of new parts that both teams had to do. And the Clippers have had that season, and the Lakers instead have, you know, there's been uh, a little bit of ups and downs in the last month here, but, you know, generally have been dominant throughout. I, I am flabbergasted by how good the Lakers' record is. Uh, first off, typically teams that go to China, start the year, have a rough first month. We saw none of that, and, and their trip to China was traumatic, to say the least. They've been absolutely, I mean, one of the things about, you know, people ripping them early on because they hadn't played too many difficult games and they hadn't played too many road games. Well, they have not lost in the Western Conference outside LA. I mean, they lost the opening night game to the Clippers on the Clippers floor in their building and they have gone 17 and 0 in the Western Conference on the road since then. That is freaking unbelievable. And then obviously the Kobe, uh, thing which is you know hit them as hard or harder than anybody else and you know they had a they had a loss coming out of the gate there but you know have had several good wins since um i was really impressed by that win in denver on wednesday night it's a great win i mean that's a great a, win it's a situation where you can easily throw that one away the last game before the all-star break playing at altitude against a good home team who was hot they won five in a row and LeBron's will in that game was incredible. Well, one thing I'll say about it is that there have been times this year where LeBron has yielded a little bit to Anthony Davis. And there have been times where at the close of games, and not that often because they haven't struggled that much. They've only got 12 losses. Um, and LeBron has missed, I think, one or two of those, and, and Anthony Davis missed some. Um, but LeBron took that game. He didn't, he didn't mess around with trying to let Anthony Davis do it. LeBron was like, I'm going to win it and uh, totally dominated the game down the stretch. Uh, KP, is LeBron the MVP? I don't think he's the MVP. I mean, I don't, I haven't made up my mind at this point. You know, there's still 30 games left in the season. Uh, I mean, I, th you know, the fact that I, I definitely don't think Anthony, he's the MVP of the Lakers. I, I think he's been more important to their success than Anthony Davis has as much as Anthony Davis has helped. But I, I still think that there are other individuals that have probably done more during the regular season. But Giannis, has ha Giannis and the Bucks are having a historically incredible season. And while LeBron's accomplishments, especially in the wake of what happened, are incredibly impressive. And I mean, the thing about LeBron that it has always bothered him that he doesn't get the credit that he thinks he deserves for holding teams together and carrying teams at low moments. Sometimes he's holding them together through the, the problems that he himself That's right. creates. He, he, uh, he rocked the boat and then said, I'll calm it. Um, that is absolutely true. But, uh, you know, they have had some, some drama this year. So we're filming this podcast pretty late in the day. We've all had long travel days. Um, we've all got a big weekend ahead of us, lots of energy zapping. And this is something that happens to all of us busy moms and dads, working professionals, athletes, whatever it is. You all hit a wall at some point during the day or during this all-star break if you're a world-class basketball player or just people like us who are along for the ride. That's why you should let 5-Hour Energy 
and the five hour energy shot help you leap over that wall instead of crashing into it. Five hour energy helps you get through your crazy on the go life with zero sugar, four calories and a convenient portable size. It's the perfect pick me up for busy, hardworking folks. And now it comes in two extra strength tropical tastes, strawberry, banana and tropical burst. They're delicious and they can take you on a tropical on the go experience. Try them both. Then go online to shop the number five hour energy dot com and use the code hoop H O O P to receive a one time offer of 10% off your order. That's shop the number five hour energy dot com and use the code hoop five hour energy energy on the go. Before we go, Kevin, um, anybody listening to this podcast regularly knows that I am a pretty staunch defender. At times, I feel like I'm the only defender. Um, I'm there of, with you of the uh, of the officials. Um, I think their job is incredibly difficult. I think um, they get a very bad rap, um, and sometimes they have bad nights. Um, but this has been a particularly rough season. And this last couple of weeks has been a rough stretch. The referees need the all-star break as much as some of the players. Um, there's been some high profile mistakes. Obviously the, the goaltend in, um, with Portland, uh, the other night. Um, there's been a couple of late game calls and the replay system, which is still very much in its beta phase. I mean, even the league admits. There are issues here we're going to try to fix, but they can't change the system in the middle of the, of the, of the year. Um, the strange thing that the NBA is doing, I, and I will call this Adam Silver's NBA because Adam Silver, there are, there are guys who would have been suspended for things under David Stern that Adam Silver doesn't even find them for. I mean, that's not this year, just in recent, in the last couple of years. But in Adam Silver's NBA, you don't get fined apparently, if the league feels like you have a point. It used to be like, no matter what the officials did, if you criticized the officials, you got fined. No matter how good your case was, it didn't matter. They had to have the officials back, period. That apparently is no longer the case because we are seeing, not only are we seeing referees not putting their best foot forward at times, we are seeing the league having very selective enforcement on the criticism of the officials. For example, Damian Lillard goes off, justifiably goes off in that game after that goaltend was missed. No fine. And then there are other guys who have been fined for much lesser scenarios. And I don't think this inconsistency in this application is helping matters. And I think we are once again heading towards a problematic place because the message being sent whether intentional or as a result of their overall decisions, is that if you feel like you're wronged, you can go ahead and say whatever you want to the officials. Yeah, I mean, oddly, this doesn't even involve that goaltending call because that was in Salt Lake City. But there have been twice this season I've been in the Blazers' locker room after games, and one of their guards, one case Lillard, one case McCollum, have gone off in the referees, and I've walked out of there to write the news story on that, thinking, well, that guy just got fined. And neither time has the player end up getting fined. I was actually almost surprised today when the news came through that Paul George had gotten fined for his criticism of the officials after the Philadelphia game. Right. Yeah. So uh, I can't remember how Paul George phrased it, but he was, you know, his old classic. 
Oh, that's right. Home cooking. They had yeah. home cooking against Philly there night. Well, Marcus Smart, um, you know, he was pretty, uh, he was upset with Boston's loss in Houston earlier this week and felt that Westbrook and James Harden got calls that their all-stars, uh, Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker did not and pretty much said that exact same thing, which is another way of saying home cooking. And um, was not fined. Not that I'm advocating that Marcus Smart should be fined. But if you're going to let Damian pretty much say what he said and not fine him, even if he was right, and then you're going you're gonna to hit Paul George for sort of an innocuous comment but not hit Marcus Smart, and we could go on on this. What's going on here? I mean, I think, I think everybody in the, in the whole officiating scenario, both the officials and the enforcer, everybody's got to tighten it up. Even the other night, there was a, a a mistake where the league had to add a point after the game. What game was I that? I think subtract a point. It was subtract the Milwaukee Orlando game, I believe. Right. Where a, where a missed free throw, they they tallied it in the first half, and Milwaukee won comfortably. Yeah, it was inconsequential do, to the game as they do all every night. Always <laughs> so um, his punishment. Sometimes when he doesn't, I, you know what I think? I I think their average margin of victory is like twelve and a half. And I think it took their win from 13 to 12. It like, <laughs> it like equalized it. Um, something in that neighborhood. I would just say across the board, whether you're on the scores table or the, you're the officials, you are policing the officials, tighten it up. Get your bleep together. Come on. Let's, let's finish strong here. This is, so this is twice this year that we have seen baskets either be counted or not be counted when they should have gone the opposite way. If, like, if we can't handle that. Like we've got to step back here and consider this in a different way than we have. So what's happened is that you know the the addition of replay has been piecemeal over time. Basically, there's some call. Often it's a high profile call that goes wrong. I noted after that goaltending call uh, in the Portland Utah game that the reason you have review for goaltending at all is because there was an Oklahoma City Portland game back in 2012 where a goaltend call was missed could not be reviewed then and david stern specifically cited that game later in the year when talking about the decision to add replay for goaltending so that's kind of how it's worked and this year the incremental addition is the coach's challenge but i think we may need to go back to the drawing board on everything and whether it's a fourth referee or a a fourth referee who's sitting at the scorer's table in contact with Sakakis at all times to correct obvious errors in situations like this like the goaltend to make sure that we get those plays right. I mean, we just have too much access to the correct video now. Like, it goes viral within a matter of seconds on Twitter. We can see umpteen replays of it. I think you need to take advantage of that on every play, not just on certain plays, and do it in a way that doesn't slow down the game. It's just so complex because in in football, which it took them a while to really get a replay figured out, they stop the clock or stop the, the game after each play. Right. You know, so what happens is the officials have learned if there's something even close to a fumble, yep. they let the play go and sort it out on replay. And lots of fumbles have been returned. Um, I'll cite one in the <laughs> national semifinal involving Ohio State where they've called them back later and said, but you can't really do that because you can't review a non-call. That's essentially the problem. You can't review whether that was a, whether that was a goaltend because they didn't call it goaltending. So the problem is it's not like football where you can just let them play. You can't just call everything because if it wasn't a goaltend, then you've taken away a potential fast break. I think it's 
toothpaste coming out of the tube because the nature of the game does not allow for the way football is where we can say, okay, this play is over and we have to reline up. And while we're relining up, we're going to stop and take a look. And so often people default to football. They think of replay because they've been the leaders in it and it's just not going to apply. It's never going to be apples to apples. And so you're either going to have to, this is what happened with the NBA this year when they were thinking about the replay. They said, we have to draw a box around it and say that we're only going to go so far. We're not going to, you know, be able to look back, you know, three minutes. We're not going to be able to, you know, you can't challenge everything. We're only going to be able to look at what's in this little box. And that's frustrated people. But the reason they did that was because they were trying to get their arms around it. Um, But this isn't just even about replay. It's just overall Mm -hmm. um, inconsistency from the league office, the way they're handling things downward. The other thing I'd mention that Lillard has cited both of those times he's gone off post game is basically the explanations he's gotten from the referees. So the first time, uh, I forget which game this was even, uh, maybe the Dallas game, you know, he got a technical foul late in the game. He's, he was unhappy that, you know, he thought he had been hit in the head, which replay showed that he had been yeah. hit in the head. And the referee told him that, you know, he had like leaned into it or, you know, I can't remember what exact words was, but that was his source of frustration is that he was told he was making it up basically. Yeah. I mean, I guess I agree with him, but when you feel like you've been wronged, I don't think, I don't think there's anything the official can say. True. And that Utah game, but the fact that they did say it was clearly not a goal 10, like that made it a thousand times worse. The, the error that just like missing missed calls to happen but you know uh before we go is there one thing you guys are looking forward to for all-star weekend no <laughs> <laughs> i'm brian winhorst and we have to honor the game there's so much good stuff happening every night except this weekend that's correct this i mean is, this is an exhibition i guess it's this different is the absolute definition of all style and no substance to the nth degree. And if I'm a stick in the mud, I apologize, but that's just the way I see it. All right, number one, I'm looking forward to when it gets above freezing again. That's the main thing I'm looking forward to. So Saturday, I guess. Uh, number two, I think the dunk contest is going to be pretty exciting this year. Gordon coming back the last time that we were in sub-zero temperatures for the All-Star game in Toronto. He put on quite a show. It's a bummer that Zach Levine and the host Bulls isn't there to uh, redo that. But Derek Jones had some incredible dunks in the game I was at in Portland on Sunday. I, I think he can maybe have more in store than you know when he finished second in the dunk contest previously. And I'm, I'm curious to see what uh, Pat Connaughton has going. So I violated my own rule about predictions last year when I predicted that Joe Harris would win the three-point contest. Which made for an incredible podcast is you could barely speak and, and got that out to him I, afterwards. I, boy, as each... As each hour passed that Saturday night, and eventually I just had, I felt to, so bad. I just had to wave the white flag. Um, Andrew, I'm going to make predictions on the slam dunk contest and three point contest. Um, cause you know, I never do predictions ever, ever, no matter what. Uh, I'm going to predict that Derek Jones is going to win the dunk contest and that Duncan Robinson is going oh, to win. Heat sweep. I like it. It's Duncan Robinson has become the, the betting favorite. Yes. In fact, the odds, I, I mean, this would have been a better thing for me to say to uh, 10 days ago when they announced it or whatever, but the odds have crashed on him. He's gone from plus 700, I think all the way down to like plus 350. Um, all the money's coming on Duncan Robinson. So <laughs> the, it's not, it's not a hot sharp, take. The sharp money is on Duncan Robinson. Uh, 
I didn't even mention, by the way, Dwight Howard in the dunk contest, who I saw in my first All-Star game I, I covered, which was 12 years ago. Vegas, right? No, that was... I He he may have done it in Vegas, but oh. in New Orleans. Okay. Um, all right. Well, um, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We will be uh, bringing you, um, hopefully, some good stuff. We haven't actually done the interviews of the players yet. They could be all duds, right? I don't want to promise it, but... We have a whole slate of interviews with um, a bunch of players, and hopefully we'll have some good stuff by next week. And um, until then, have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to Hoop Collective.